In Jesus' mighty name, we give you glory, we give you honor and praise. And everyone said, amen and amen. Hallelujah. We thank you again for joining with us tonight uh, for our 6 p.m. service. I tell you, I love our praise and worship, but sometimes them old songs that are classics that you heard growing up, and one like that then sings my soul, how great thou art. That song never gets old, amen. And uh, that's one that you can just sing to the top of your lungs if you're not a singer going down the road in the car because <laughs> that's one of them songs that it can be hard to sing. And, uh, but thank be the God that he said make a joyful noise so when it's just me and him, I sing to the top of my lungs, amen. So anyway, we are so excited again to be here tonight uh, gathered together. And we thank you for watching by the way of internet. So if you have your Bibles, turn with us to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 1. And before I get into the message tonight, we were having a conversation here before church actually started, and the question was proposed and preached to a bunch of empty seats, other than just a couple of people that are here that are doing our praise and worship. And the answer is yes. And so I am believing, and I am hoping and praying that not only here but all around those of you that are watching that when this does lift and we pray that this will be sooner than later that you run to the house of God and that you be there to support your local body to support your pastor to support the church because there's nothing like fellowship it's wonderful behind the camera and we know God is able to meet you right there but nothing takes the place of being together with like-minded believers and I believe that those of you that are watching by the way of internet tonight would agree with me and you would shout amen if you were here right now because I know that as good as this is it's much better to have us come together and in spirit and in truth and in one body worshiping the King of Kings. So we are believing again that this lifts and when it does, we are excited and we want you guys here to be a part of what the Lord is doing. So in Galatians chapter 1, we're going to read the first five verses and in seeking the Lord for the service tonight, uh, I felt the Lord strongly lay upon my heart to deal with the book of Galatians and for us to deal with it on Sunday nights. Um, some time ago before we ever even opened up the doors here at the church on March the 15th, which consequently has just been six weeks ago. It already blows my mind that it's been six weeks, but it's been wonderful. Despite all that is going on, it has been wonderful um, what the Lord has done these past six weeks of the testimonies that have come in. But before we ever opened up the doors, the Lord impressed upon my heart and dealt with me about relaying the foundation. Uh, about dealing with and getting back to the basics, getting back to the roots. And I don't believe that it's just me, but for those that are seeking after the Lord, and I'm hearing it, I believe, from other ministers that are feeling the same way, that we have gotten so far off track as a church as a whole, and that we need to come back to the foundation. We've got to come back to the basics. We've got to come back to the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because we've made it about everything else but what it actually is. And it's there where Christ saved us. It's on that foundation that God is able to move in and through our lives. You've got to remember and hear me tonight that everything that we have and everything that we are hinges upon Christ and what he did at Calvary. That's why we cannot talk enough about the cross. That's why we can't sing enough about the blood. Because everything that we have today all blessings, uh, prayers being answered, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, uh, all joy, peace, everything that we have today is because of that one selfless act that took place 2,000 years ago on Calvary's cross. So why would we speak of anything else except the cross of Christ? And when we discuss this series, we want to get into it, that the view of the cross has been looked at as nothing more but for salvation for so long. But God is trying to open up the eyes of the church and let us see, hey, it's not just for your salvation, but everything, everything hinges from Christ and what he has done. Amen. So we're going to do this series, and I trust that it will be a great blessing to you. Amen. So Galatians chapter 1, dealing with just the first five verses. The Bible says, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. 
Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you tonight in the name of your Son, Jesus. We thank you for we thank you for the presence of the Lord that we felt. We thank you for the comments that came in, Lord, and, and knowing that hearts and lives were touched and changed, Lord. But, God, we know that you have new and afresh for us tonight. So, Lord, here we are again tonight, Lord, ready to receive what you have in store for us, Lord. God, we can never get too much, Lord. But, God, we're here tonight hungry for more. And, God, as long as we have furnished the desire, Lord, you have promised that you would pour out, God. And, Lord, we're asking that you would anoint us one more time. Lord, to preach your word and to help us to rightly divide it, God. That, Lord, nothing would be spoken, Lord, that you have not ordained, God. And that every word that is spoken, Lord, would be saturated in the oil, Lord. God, that the anointing would go forth upon the ears of the listeners, Lord. And that, God, you would anoint this word to their heart, Lord. And, Lord, let it bring good fruit. And we'll forever give you praise for it all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. The title simply for the message tonight in these first five verses is Relaying the Foundation. Relaying the Foundation. You see, the purpose of the epistle of Galatians was to reinstate the foundation of justification by faith. And the Holy Spirit through this epistle defines exactly what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. And the reasoning for this epistle was because the church had gotten so far off course from where they was, from where they were to be, from where they had been founded. You see, the great foundational doctrines of justification and sanctification were under attack. And let me tell you, to attack either of these, and the Holy Spirit would say the reason for it is to destroy the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hear me tonight, to attack justification, to attack sanctification, the greatest two doctrines of the Bible, to attack these is to destroy the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if we get justification wrong, we're never going to get sanctification right. Let me say that again. To get justification wrong, you will never get sanctification right. And could it be said that the reason why we miss sanctification much of the church through years is because we never got justification right? We said we believed in Calvary, we accepted him, but along our journey and walking with the Lord, we somehow strayed from faith and grace and being saved and got over into this route of because I do X, Y, and Z, because I don't do this and I don't do that, I am now justified. I am maintaining my justification that I received at Calvary, but the maintenance of it, the maintaining of it, the sustaining of it is because of what I do and because of what I don't do hear me tonight your justification does not hinge on anything that you do it hinges on what he has already done I'm saved tonight because of what he did at Calvary's cross as we sang that song this morning he's the God who stays no enemy can separate my failure can't separate and that has always been the biggest component in the church that we thought when failure came by the way of a child of God that justification was somehow lost but if that would be the case hear me tonight nobody would be saved because none of us come up to that standard of righteousness, to that standard of holiness that God has ordained except one person and his name is Jesus Christ. But the day that we got saved, the day that you got saved, you were baptized in his death and now your position is in Christ. That standard of holiness and righteousness is being met. Your condition is nowhere near your position. But be to God our eternity is based off of our position in Christ and not our condition because if it was based off of our condition we're all in trouble see that's sanctification your condition that the Holy Spirit is working in and through our lives to bring up to our position here we are in Christ and here I am way on down here I'll be the first one to admit it to say that I'm right up here, I think that could almost be the mindset of the self-righteous. Amen? But I'm down here because I ever need to be changed. And so the desire of our heart each and every single day is, Lord, come and have your way in me. Change me, oh God. Because like I said this morning, he's more worried about your character than he is how loud you shout. 
how much you run the aisles. Because we as Pentecostals have based everything off of that, off of a shout, off of running the aisles. And yes, we believe in shouting if you want to know. We are 100% Pentecostal. We believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. We still believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We still believe in the operating power of the Holy Spirit. But hear me tonight. Your faith cannot be anchored in all of those things. Your faith must be in Christ and what He's done because that's where and how the Holy Spirit can come and bring all of these things to us. We've got to get this tonight. You may say, I know about it. I don't think we do. And that's why the Lord, I believe, laid upon my heart to go in here to relay the foundation because if we don't get the foundation right, then ain't nothing going to be right. Okay? So there had to be a correction brought to the Galatians for corrupting the doctrine of justification and understand me that the evil in Galatia wasn't so-called sins that we love to point out. That wasn't the great evil in the city of Galatia. That wasn't the great evil in the church of Galatia, uh, the, some big sin that we like to pinpoint out. The great evil that was being done was doctrinal. Because they were perverting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because they were trying to add works and just faith and grace. And there is nothing any more worse than that. There's nothing any more worse than perverting the gospel of Jesus Christ to pervert what Christ did at Calvary's cross and to try to add anything else is to pervert it. So this exists more today than we realize. And the only way for the Spirit of God to move again in the lives of His people the way that we want Him to, the way that He desires, is for the foundation to be relayed. You see, a house that's built on an improper foundation, it's not going to stand. When we view a house, and I was telling Stacy last night, when we view a house, we don't never look at the foundation. We look at the building, we look at the structure, we look at the decor on the outside. Then when we get on the inside, we look at all of these things. Never the mind, the foundation is never looked at, the foundation is never thought about. All we look at and all we think about is what we can see. And if you carry that over into the spiritual, we look at all of the great blessings. We look at the outpouring of His Spirit. We look at the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, prayers being answered, communion with the Lord. We look at all of those things, but we never look at the foundation a house your house that you live in you would be living in it if the foundation wasn't laid right because guess what when the storms come and they are coming like we talked about this morning if that foundation ain't right the house is going to come rolling down so that foundation is the most important part of any home so our foundation is on christ and what he's done which is the most important hear me tonight the most important the only important part of this life of this christianity that we have because everything is built upon it everything hear me tonight i cannot stress it enough everything hinges and is built upon that foundation. In fact, the Bible goes on and says that anything that ain't built on that foundation is going to be burned up. So we see Paul starting out this epistle, this later to the city church of Galatia, almost annoyed because he had felt he had to defend his apostleship. You see, many Judaizers had worked in to the church and were questioning Paul's authority as an apostle. And Paul was letting them know that his apostleship was not because he chose it or neither was he appointed by man, but was rather appointed by God. In Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So the role of an apostle is one whom God has called for a special mission and a task to steer the church in a certain direction. So God gave Paul, we know, the meaning of the new covenant. And it was Paul's mission to establish churches and to deliver the message of Christ and him crucified for how we are to live for him. He had been given the meaning of the new covenant and that right there was the message that God wanted brought to the church to steer the church in this direction because up until this point, all the church knew how to live for, Lord, for the Lord was by law. 
Paul found himself in the same way. He had been serving the Lord, spirit-filled, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ for some 10 years, trying to live for the Lord by the law. Romans chapter 7, we see that all he found was failure, as failure will always be what you find when you try to live for the Lord outside of faith and grace. So 10 years into this, and then all of a sudden, God said, now it's time for me to give to him the meaning of the new covenant. And he chose Paul. He chose Paul. It wasn't voted by a committee. It wasn't voted on by 10 people coming together. And I think I like this one a little bit better. God chose Paul to deliver this great message, this great doctrine of sanctification by which we live by and should be living by today. So Paul was saying, called by man, but I've rather been called by God. And let me just say this, that no man can call another man. Man that is operating in one of these fivefold ministries of which we just read has to be divinely called by God. I'm not up here tonight because I chose this because anybody that knows me would tell you I would rather be out there in the seats being the loudest one amen and in the corner. In fact, when I was in school, I would almost take a failing grade before I would get up in a classroom to present a report. And you may think there's no way because the way you're... This is all the Holy Spirit. This is none of Wayne, but all of the Holy Spirit. Man did not call me. God called me. God is the one who divinely calls those to fulfill the uh, fivefold ministry. And let me just say this to clear this up. Just because you may not operate in the fivefold ministry does not mean that you're not important to the kingdom of God. Because you are important to the kingdom of God. This kingdom of God and the winning of souls cannot just hinge upon the few that he has called in the fivefold ministry. But if you're saved and you're washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, you've got a mouth. You are a preacher of righteousness. And it is your job, your duty, your privilege to go out into all of the world and to proclaim the good news of Jesus. Christ because for far too long we have laid the responsibility upon right here those that stand behind this pulpit but let me tell you tonight that the pulpit is mobile the pulpit goes wherever you go whether it's on your job, whether you're in Walmart, wherever you're at the bank, around the dinner table with your family, at holidays, the pulpit is mobile and it is incumbent upon you and me to tell the good news of Jesus Christ. God forbid that I should not preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul would say. So again, there is too many today, it seems now more than ever before, that are trying to operate in a lane where they do not belong. And you know it as I know, we unfortunately, in many, we've got evangelists that God is called to be evangelists that are trying to be pastors that were never called to be pastors. And we got some that were called to be teachers and we need them in the fivefold ministry that are trying to operate in the role of a prophet. They were never called to be a prophet. So we've got to make sure we remain in our lane where God has called us to and say, okay, God, I want you to move in and through me in what you've called me, what you've gifted me with, what you've talented me with, and God will excel you in that. So there are too many self-proclaimed apostles. I don't know about you, but I see it. It seems like everybody nowadays is an apostle, an apostle. And they don't even understand because an apostle has been given a specific message for the church to bring that, that we see here in these last days. Come back to the cross. Come back to Calvary. Faith in Christ and what he's done. And so what is this message that all these self-proclaimed apostles has got? They ain't got one. They are preachers of righteousness, but they want to carry that name apostle or bishop or anything else or prophet because it glorifies self because they want man itself and I don't back down from that at all because it's the truth we got too many self-proclaimed apostles and again it's one that is called to send that has been sent to deliver a specific message unto the church so the purpose of the apostle and as well the rest of the fivefold ministry is to build up the saints in knowledge and in truth so there should never be this control factor over the flock or dispute their ideas and opinions. But the fivefold ministry is there for one purpose, and that is to help the saints understand the word of God and to equip them for service. It is my job to feed the flock, uh, uh, the flock, the sheep, and to help teach the word of God. It's not my job to be in control of your life. I'm God has 
laid upon my heart to give to you. What you do with it from there is totally left up to you. It's not my job to sit and, and, and control your life and to see what you're doing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. That's not my job. My job is to feed the flock of what the Lord has first given me. And because I can't give you nothing that he ain't first given me. So as he gives it to me and it value, then I have to do a self-evaluation of my own life and of my own heart. And there's some repentance that goes on when they're studying that going on. But praise be to God. Amen. That's right. There's some tears that fall. But that's what's needed. And then I come and I give it in here on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights and Wednesdays. Or when this starts back up and this all ends on, uh, in our Denver location, the 9 a.m. Bible study that we do. Just a little shameless plug. If you're in the Denver area, come and be with us. So the body, if the body is being improperly taught the word of God, there will be improper spiritual growth in the life of believers. Attending the wrong church can be detrimental to one's spiritual experience and growth in the Lord. And if they are not pointing you to Christ and his finished work at Calvary, then I'm sorry to tell you, you need to get out. Now, I know what you may say, oh, you don't know I was raised in this church from my lad up. I've been here for 40 years. Oh, I don't care. What are they preaching? Because we got far too many people that are going to a building because they've been raised up there, because grandma attended there, because grandpa attended there, because dad started this church. I don't care what is being preached from behind the pulpit. And let me tell you that if the preacher is not pointing you to Christ and his finished work, you need to go. Because you're not, bene- you're not being benefited from this. If the truth, in fact, I hate to say it, there are many that are being poisoned. They're being poisoned right in the, quote, house of God because of what's being preached behind the pulpit. It's not pointing them to Christ and what he's done. And when we fail to point them to Jesus, there's only one other way to point them to, and that's to self. And you will be hurting it leads to destruction, okay? So your attendance to a church should never be off of a denominational name, but rather off the truth being preached and as well the moving and the operating power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I was received a phone call uh, by a dear uh, person uh, before this church ever opened up, and because our name on the billboard didn't carry the logo Church of God, we were deemed and classified and almost thrown out because... We wasn't, quote, Church of God. And I had to say, yes, we are a part of the Church of God. But again, we've got too many people that are worried about the name on the billboard. I could care less about what's the name on the outside. What's going on on the inside? What's being preached from behind this pulpit? Is there the moving and operating power of the Holy Spirit? That's what I could care about. That's what I'm concerned about. I could care less what the name is. And our name, my name, Stacy's name, none of our names is on there because it's not about us. It's all about Jesus Christ. So the name on the billboard, the name on the church makes no difference. What's being preached? And is there the moving and operating power of the Holy Spirit? Because these two must exist or else not one person is going to be changed. And if the word is properly being preached, you're sure that there's going to be a moving of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit anoints the word of Almighty God. So where there's no moving of the Spirit, it's because the Word is not being preached and taught as it ought to be. But where the Word is being preached, where it's being taught, it will be accompanied by the moving and operating power of the Holy Spirit, who is the agent of transformation that changes us. I was telling them before service that when I preached before in the other church and even here and for the couple of weeks that we were able to have our doors open, you could see the aha moments taking place because the word was going forth, anointed by the Holy Spirit, applied to their hearts. And you could see, wow, I'm getting, I'm getting food. It's, that's the work of the Holy Spirit that I cannot do. Amen. So it's my desire to see saints strengthen and mature in the faith where the power of the Holy Spirit is moving and operating in Him and Him alone having control over the lives. Because again, I'm not to have control. It's the Holy Spirit to have control. And again, the only way it's going to be happened is for the exaltation of Christ 
and what he has done at Calvary's cross for us. So these Judaizers had crept in and demanded that these Christian Gentiles fulfill the and attach the Mosaic law to grace or else they were saying you can't be saved or even rather stay saved. If you're going to grace is good, but they were coming in, they wormed their way in, and that's a good way I like to put it. They wormed their way in, these Judaizers that come in, their nose up in the air, if you will, and they're saying, okay, we understand you accept the grace, but now you've also got to keep the Mosaic law or you're not going to stay saved. And it is not any different today with many churches where although it may not be the Mosaic law they impose upon believers, but rather of their choosing and say, you must keep these and adapt to these in order to stay saved. See, when I was growing up in church, the teachings of legalism ran rampant. And your salvation, ladies, was based off of how long your hair was. The longer it was, the holier you were. It was based off of the appearance. The longer your dress was, if it dragged, the holier you were. In fact, me as a man that is preaching from behind the pulpit, this was offensive because I have a beard on my face. Must I allow this right here, I was be classified as a heathen. All because we were looking on the outward appearance of man and none of this was in the word of God to begin with. It's not based off of the outward appearance, but God is looking upon the heart. It's not based off of makeup or how much you put on. I remember, you know, that was a running thing back then. Oh, they looked like a Jezebel if they had earrings hanging down from their earlobes. Or if they had makeup on, they were classified and stereotyped as Tammy Faye Baker. You know, that was the one that I heard about when I was growing up because they had this makeup on and people were like that that because they were enjoying their salvation because their faith wasn't in none of that, but yet they were looked down upon. And I heard, and it was a cousin of mine actually said it one time up in Kentucky, because she grew up in the same thing, that they make Christianity so ugly. And Christianity is not supposed to be ugly. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing because we've been saved and now we're free to live for Him. I don't need you to tell me how to dress. Get the Holy Spirit inside of you at salvation, and He does the teaching. He'll tell the women how to dress. He'll tell the man how to dress. He'll teach them how to do it. He's the great teacher. But if we come in and we start preaching our own convictions, and if they are your convictions and you don't want to do them, praise be to God, don't do them. But don't impose your convictions on me and tell me that I'm a sinner because I don't do what you do or because I don't do what you don't do. Amen. So again, Paul now delivers a salutation to the church of Galatia as he did in most of his epistles with grace be to you and peace. But the opening of this carried a special significance because here again these Galatians were turning away from the doctrine of grace and toward the legalistic teachings of the Judaizers. That's what the whole book of Galatians is all about. Paul had founded this church. He had brought to them the message of Christ and him crucified. They were getting saved and he no longer left and it was in no time that all of a sudden these Judaizers swept in. There again it's very important who's behind the pulpit and what you're attending your ear to because what you attend your ear to I can promise you you will eventually believe. What you listen to, and day in and day out, you will eventually believe. And these here in Galatia was listening to these Judaizers day in and day out. And every day that was passing by, and the more and more this legalistic attitude and these legalistic doctrines were being preached, they were getting further and further and further away from the doctrine of grace. And that's what's happened to the church. That we got so far away because little by little by little by little ideas were being preached from behind the pulpit. Sermons were totally about everything except the word of Almighty God. And people began to believe and think their holiness and their righteousness was wrapped up in how they looked and what they did. And not wrapped up in Christ and what he has done. And again to do that is to corrupt the gospel of Jesus Christ. Which is far worse than any sin I could get out here and commit. To pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ is far worse. So grace is simply God's goodness being extended unto an undeserving person. We know this. We've heard this all of our life. And it was grace that saved you and me. We did nothing to deserve it. We did nothing to merit it. We simply said yes to Jesus Christ. 
what he did at Calvary's cross for us and upon faith in him and what he has done and the acceptance of his blood that was shed for you and for me, he washed all of our sins away and made us into a new creature in Christ Jesus. The greatest day of your life, not the day that you got married, not the day that you brought children into this world, not the day that you got that great promotion upon your job, but the greatest day in your life was when you said yes to Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ washed all your sins away, and you became a new creature in Christ Jesus. You may forget your anniversary day. You may forget a birthday. But let me tell you, you'll never forget the day that the burden of your sin was rolled away. Because there's no feeling like it. So now the presence of God's Holy Spirit now abides within our heart and life. And we're before we was, he was not welcomed and could not enter in because of unbelief. And let me tell you tonight, the only thing that is required the presence of God is to believe. Simply to believe. When you said yes to Jesus Christ, and there again is another fundamental truth that has been skewed. Many people think that they, can't, they don't have the Holy Spirit inside of them unless they're speaking with tongues. And that's not true. There is, when you get saved, you receive the Holy Spirit. He's the one that comes to lead, to God, to help you age you, to comfort you, to counsel you, to convict you here on this life's journey. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a separate work of grace where one is totally immersed in it with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. But if you are saved tonight, and if you've never spoken tongues before in a day in your life, you still have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. He's the third person of the triune. When the veil was ripped in two from top to bottom, the justice and the demand of sin had been settled by Christ and what he's done. Now the Holy Spirit, who before couldn't reside within our hearts and lives, now can abide in the heart and life of a believer. So upon faith in Christ and what he's done, the Holy Spirit all of a sudden comes right on in. Just like that. Well, people say, well, he won't dwell in an unclean temple. That's right. But when you get saved, you now are a clean temple. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why he can reside in you. That's why he can reside in me. Not because of anything that I've done. Because me, I'm nothing more but a filthy bag of trash. And guess what? So are all of us. But because of the blood of Jesus Christ, I am viewed as clean. And the Holy Spirit now can come in and live out of me. This once person that was a wretched sinner but has been saved by grace. And the Holy Spirit now is living inside of me. Praise be to God. We need, we need the Holy Spirit moving and operating in our lives. He's so important. But how we allow him to move and how he moves depends upon us and where we place our faith. Of the ministry of the Holy Spirit today because of modern day Judaizers teachings. They thought that circumcision and the keeping of Mosaic law was incumbent upon the believer in order for them to remain safe. And today it may not be what it was then, but it is man-made laws that we try to oppose upon other believers. It runs rampant now, but you've got to be saved and also water baptized. Then we got some that says you've got to be saved, water baptized, and baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence will speak with other tongues. And then we got those that are real holy that says you've got to be saved, water baptized, baptized in the Holy Spirit, and wash saints' feet. And ain't none of that, I'm sorry, and I know this blows a lot of theology for people, has nothing to do with your salvation. Your salvation is predicated upon the blood of Jesus Christ and that alone. You don't have to be water baptized, baptized in the Holy Spirit, wash saints' feet, or any of that stuff to be saved and to have the ministry of the Holy Spirit working in your heart and life. We've got to get this because so many think that he's restricted and if I go on to do these things, then he will work more in my life. No, no, you can go on through with water baptism, go on through with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which we encourage, which we want you to do. But it has nothing to do with how the Holy Spirit works in your heart and in your life. He works through where your faith is anchored. Not in what you do, but your faith anchored in what's already been done. So the ministry of the Holy Spirit is most important in the life of a believer because without it, you will cease to remain in Christ Jesus. 
You can't live this life. I can't live this life without the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And if we don't allow him to operate in our lives, we will cease from remaining alive in Christ. I can tell you this because I've lived it. I tried to live for the Lord without the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And what ended up happening? I lost my way. Because I was trying to do this. I was being imposed upon all the man-made laws for many within the church. And because I didn't measure up to their standard, because I couldn't do what they were telling me to do, I thought, well, then I'm not going to make it anyway. I was trying to do it all within myself, and you will run out of steam. A car without gas and without refilling the tank will eventually stop. And you can't continue to walk this life and continue to live for the Lord without having some oil poured in. And the oil comes through the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit gets poured in as you keep your faith anchored in Christ and what He's done. And each and every single day, we can go back, Lord, fill me up. Lord, fill me up. Lord, fill me up. Pour into me, and He will do it because you're looking to the one who paid the price so that the oil can now flow. That's beautiful. That's wonderful. That's Calvary for us and what Calvary has accomplished for us. So too many are setting out to become an overcomer and they don't realize that in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, you're already an overcomer. Revelation 12, 11 says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. You see, our position in Christ has made us overcomers already. We're already overcomers in Christ. But again, if we don't allow the Holy Spirit to have his way in our lives, then we are not going to see the effects of it via victory in our lives. So we are made already overcomers because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We're already overcomers. Will you look at me and say, well, Wayne, you don't understand. I've got bondage. I've got failure. I'm not an overcomer. In Christ, you are an overcomer. See, that's the problem. We don't understand our justification. We don't understand our position in Christ. Even though there's failure, even though there's bondage, because you're in Christ, is your position. So in Him, because Christ was an overcomer, is an overcomer, you are viewed as by God as an overcomer. Thanks be to God. And thank God it's that way, because if it wasn't, we wouldn't make it. But we are an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb. Now, how we see the effects of that, which is victory in our life, that abundant living comes by how we yield to the Holy Spirit and where we place our faith in Him. So how do we allow Him? Again, by anchoring your faith in Christ's finished work each and every single day. Simply saying, Lord, my faith is in you. And what you did for me at Calvary, not in myself. This seems so simple, but it's the hardest thing that we as believers will do. And the reason why is because we can't get self out of the way. Because we want to come in and say, I can do this. Oh, no, you can't. If you could do it, then Christ would have never had to die on Calvary's cross. I can't save myself, and I can't clean myself up. That comes through the cleaning up, comes through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The saving came in through Christ and what he did at Calvary's cross. Now that I'm saved, now there's things that need to be changed about my life. That's done through the work of the Holy Spirit. And how he does that is where I place my faith. Is it anchored 100% exclusively in Christ because if there's any whatsoever anchored in myself that I'm hindering the Holy Spirit from allowing grace to flow into me to do the work that he desires to do. So many will tell you that they are. They are doing this, but the truth is when they try to obtain victory over sin or even live for the Lord other than my simple faith, they are abrogating the law of the Spirit of Christ Jesus. Romans 8 and 2, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus of sin and death. You see, here's the legal work that can be done by the Holy Spirit. The law of the Spirit. There's where the legalities come in. There's where the Holy Spirit can work. It is a law. How he works is in Christ Jesus. So following the law of the Spirit, obedient to his terms of how he works, will set you free from the law of sin and death. So the ministry of the Holy Spirit is done and is in Christ Jesus. And he and he alone has set me free from the law of sin and death. So when I don't follow God's way of 
living for him by simple faith in Christ for what he's done, that the Holy Spirit can bring to me these victories, this abundant life, then the only other option I have is to live myself, and that will always be the law of sin and death. You see, this is why so many Christians are walking. Hear me, Christians that love God with all their heart are walking in bondage to things that they don't want to because they're not looking solely to Jesus and they are binding the Holy Spirit from working the way He desires. And let me tell you, these bondages far outweigh just the big five of adultery, of pornography, of smoking, and drinking and drugs. We look at those things and we think because we don't do those things, then we're good to go. But let me tell you, the bondages run rampant. There are millions. There are so many that don't do those things that I just listed. But there's unforgiveness in the heart. There's bitterness in the heart. There's jealousy in the heart. All of malice in the heart. All of these things, the sins of the spirit that we don't necessarily see. The other things are of the flesh that we see. And we'll throw darts at people over that stuff. But what about these things that are tucked deep inside that maybe isn't manifested, it isn't seen. But guess who does see them? And it's bondage. And it robs us of that abundant life that Christ has died. John 16, 13. Albeit when he, the spirit of truth, that is the Holy Spirit, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak and will show you things to come. So the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, and I just want to say that because it just comes to me because I feel that there may be some saying, well, why are you saying Holy Spirit, not Holy Ghost? It's the same. Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, it's the same, okay? So the Holy Spirit will always point the believer back to Christ and his finished work. The scripture here just said that when he comes, he will guide you in all truth. He's not going to speak of himself, but what he hears and what he speaks, and he, he's going to point you back to Christ and what he's done. So if you're saying well, the Holy Spirit has told me to do this, and it comes from the efforts of self, you've not heard from the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is always going to point you, believer, me, believer, us as believers, back to Christ and what he has done and saying, hey, it's already been accomplished for you. And he said it and declared it when he said it is finished. And let me tell you, it would have been finished he hadn't said those three words, but he said it and declared it for the benefit of you and I. Hey, I'm saying it. It's done. It's finished. So if we're not looking to Calvary, then the Holy Spirit is not going to be permitted to work in your life the way he desires. And without him operating and having his way, then again, you are going to be left with the only other power source there is, and that is self. And self will always lead to death. There's two power sources, the Holy Spirit or self. There's no three, there's no four, there's no combination of self and the Holy Spirit. Two power sources, Holy Spirit and and the Holy Spirit will bring life. Self will bring death. And the Holy Spirit wants you to yield to him and say, hey, let me have control so that I can bring to you the benefits of what Christ did for you at Calvary. What he did for me, the Holy Spirit's pointing me back to it. Look what he's already done for you. And when we're looking to him, now grace can flow. Another word, the Holy Spirit can flow and bring to us those things that Christ has died to give. So disaster strikes the moment that we step outside of the prescribed order of victory. You see, the church for years has jumped from one fad to the next to try to achieve what only the Holy Spirit can do. And let me tell you, it just popped into my mind. If what they were doing was working then why are they jumping from one thing to the next? I mean, we're talking about years ago, for to have victory in your life, it was you got to pray more. Well, how much do I pray? Well, you got to get up like Daniel, pray three times a day. Then it moved up to you got to read more. That was always the answer. Pray more, read more. Then it was you got to go to church more. All right, I'm in church every time the doors are open up, prayer meetings and revivals, I'm always, guess what? Still got bondage. Then we moved on, well, you got to fast more. Then it went, started out three days. Then it went to seven. Then it went to 14. Then it went to 21. Then to go, go to 40. 
And listen, fast all you want to, and the only thing that's going to accomplish is you being real skinny, detoxing your body, and yet you will still find yourself walking in defeat. Because that's not where your victory's at. Because you're looking to self as the power source, and it won't bring you victory. But guess what? Faith in Christ and what he's done, simple childlike faith, will bring to me and help me to receive the benefits and will see to it that I'm walking in victory over sin. That's why Paul said in Romans 6, 14, sin shall not have dominion over you. Why? Because you're free. He set you free at Calvary. You don't have to be set free by anything you've done. You are already set free. So how we're made free is by where we're looking to Christ and what he's done. He's already set you free. He's already done the work for you at Calvary. So how we're made free is the same way that we were set free. By looking to him and what he has done for us. Okay. So Paul also goes on along with grace, which is the ministry of the Holy Spirit, will also accompany peace. Peace is a state of freedom from war. So when you think of war, you think of chaos and discord and, and danger and turmoil. But when peace exists, it conveys the idea of safety, of calmness and tranquility. So he's telling them and he's telling us that peace comes from when the war ended that was raging in your heart and your soul when you received salvation. So the day that you said yes to Jesus Christ, the burden of sin was lifted. Heaven came down, filled your heart. The the war that was going on in your heart that existed between you and God, Romans 5 and 1 now tells us that we now have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's the one who has caused it for us to be able to have peace now with God. Peace doesn't exist without Jesus Christ. Okay? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So while many have peace with God, those are believers. Many have peace with God. Not all possess the peace of God. And it comes because of the un not understanding the atoning work of Calvary. Hear me. Many believers, and to be a believer, you've got peace with God. You've said yes to Jesus Christ, and now peace has brought in with God. You are in peace with God. You are a son. You are a daughter of the Most High King. And hear me tonight. I want you to know that if you've said yes and you're a believer and your faith is anchored in Christ and what he's did for you, peace with God. But there are too many believers that have walked around not with the peace of God because they're not looking to Christ and what he's done. He said, peace I leave with you. He's left us with peace. But the reason why they don't have the peace of God, which keeps them from the trying to do it all themselves, is because they're trying to do it all of themselves. You see, when I was young and in the Lord, I loved him with all that was within me and was trying to live for him victoriously. And I had a problem in the way of thinking to obtain it again to a, do a series of things and that victory would come and you name it, I did it. But the effect and the result was always the same, defeat and continued bondage. I tried all the good Christian disciplines of which we should do, but because my faith was in doing those things and not in Christ and what he's already done, Again, I found defeat, okay? So there's nothing different we have to do after getting saved when it comes to living for the Lord. Faith and grace is how you got saved, and faith and grace is how you stay saved. Or the way we like to say it around here, the way you came in is the way you stay in. The way you came in, faith and grace, is the same way that you stay in, faith and grace. Well, I hear people say, well, I don't like that. I don't believe that. Well, the reason why they don't like him, the reason why they don't believe it, is because they want to interject self in the equation here and say, now I can do it. No, you can't. You can't do it. We can't clean ourselves up. So the way we came in, faith and grace is what we need to continue to flow. We just keep exhibiting the faith. You supply the faith, and the grace is going to sure to flow. That's all he needs us to do. To do what? Believe. Just believe. You supply the faith. But where you place your faith is where it's sad. Because everybody's got faith. But it's faith in the correct object. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
You see, to believe what I have told you will bring peace, but to ignore it will bring you anything but peace and will consequently bring you no rest. See, there's a lot of believers today in the Lord and many right here in the church of Galatia that were not at rest. And there's many that needs to come to rest today. He's saying, come unto me and I will give you rest. That means lay down your ceremonies, lay down your rituals, lay down your weapons, lay it all down and just come unto me and I will give to you the rest that you need. And let me tell you, when you start living for him by this simple truth, and it is a simple truth, the simplicity of the gospel, it brings a rest to you like you've never known before and all of a sudden you see because I'm not doing anything and I'm saying okay Lord I'm going to go your way then we begin to see the power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit working in our lives and when I went down this route I gave my heart back to the Lord and I said, all right, I'm coming in a different way than I used to before and I'm going to stay this way. And then I began to see victory played out in my life because I had surrendered, threw up my hands and say, Lord, I can't, you can help. And when I done that, the help surely came. The help is the Holy Spirit. And he was able to help me because I said I can't, but Lord, you can. Holy Spirit said, praise be to God. That's what I wanted out of you for years. And now he can go to work and do what only he can do. And now what I know is abundant life and freedom from the bondage and the burden of sin because I'm just allowing him to do what only he can do. Because I'm resting in Christ and what he's done. So we read in verse 4, and I'm hearing the statement, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil war world. So why would Paul give this cardinal truth? Hear me. It says, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from the present evil world. This cardinal truth, this simplicity is what you and I learned in church and Sunday school as a little lad. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So why would Paul turn right around and give this simple cardinal truth right again to an established body of believers because this simple truth that we learned as a trial why would he give it to us again because it must ever be kept before the mind and because the truth had been lost by the Galatians just like it's been lost by much of the church today we would say there's no way oh yes there's a way and if we Paul was reminding them and if we don't keep this as the front of our mind again faith in Christ and what he's done then we will get away from the simplicity of what Christ has done and it will be lost on us what God has done for us what Christ has already done for us and then again we're going to start looking to self instead of him so much of the church of Galatia had doctrines which tended to obscure or make the finished work avoid and let me tell you that our preaching and teaching should never obscure or make void what Christ did at all so let me tell you today when you come to this church when you listen here I hope and pray and I do believe that you will hear that the theme of this church and what we believe is Christ and what he did at Calvary's cross when you come to this church and you get here you will see on our back wall we preach Christ and him crucified we don't have it on that wall just because it's pretty and it looks great. We believe what we've got up there. We preach Christ and Him crucified. Because there's no other way. So notice, He said, gave Himself for our sins. This was were falling back on works as the ground of such acceptance. And again, many today are, uh, have forgotten that this salvation is a gift, and hear me, must remain as a gift for us to keep. We've accepted it as a gift, and we'll acknowledge that, but we've got to remember, and, and it must remain as a gift. It's the gift that keeps on giving, because the moment that you begin to start working or trying to maintain your salvation then it ceases to be a gift it's a gift that is giving and it must maintain and must stay as a gift remain as a gift to you as you walk with the Lord thank you God for what sending your son thank you Jesus for what you've done I didn't deserve it you gave it to me you gave your only life for me so that I 
could have life, okay? So the Galatians, like many in the church today, believed that he was and is the Messiah and that he died on Calvary, but they little, uh, they, their actions belittle the substitution offering Jesus died and for us so we didn't um, so that we did it and they had opted for a series of laws to be performed in order to stay saved so again either the blood of Jesus Christ atones for all of our sin or it doesn't it either paid the price for all sin or it doesn't so we cannot add to his finished work because this as soon as we do this then we're making the cross of Christ as Paul would say of none effect the moment that we begin to add works into the finished work, which makes no sense, this contradictory statement right there, adding works to a finished work, then we have just made the cross of Christ of none effect. And we're basically saying with our actions, Christ, what you did at Calvary was not enough. You need me to come on in and add my two little cents worth into it. I don't know about you, but when I have built something, when I have done and it's there. If I had somebody to come behind me after I completed the work and said, okay, well, I, don't, I think it's not quite done and I need to add my little touch to it, guess what? I'm going to be offended. God is offended when we try to add anything outside of just simple faith. I've done it all. I have provided to you the Redeemer. I provided you the sacrifice that would not just cover the sin, but atone for it and take it all away. I don't need you to add anything else to it. Just simply believe and accept what I've done. So again, he not only came to be the substitution, but also so that we might be delivered out from this present world. Now, many will say that this deliverance from the present evil world means the rapture but that's not what he was talking about here what he was saying is that we could be delivered we could be set free from the powers of darkness that we would not have to live in bondage whatsoever so because Christ got up out of the grave he took back the keys to hell and the great death and the grave and now has set us free from the powers of darkness so now I no longer have to live up underneath the dominion of sin he's delivered out of this present evil world he's delivered us from the sins amen so the rescue that he has done for us is a rescue from the state of bondage we were held in the clutches of satan and he wasn't letting go and nothing you could ever do could ever budge the chains that were once bound you but again the day that you said yes to jesus christ the chains fell there was a big loud commotion all in hell and hell had to say oh my god he set another one free because the chains fell off, the shackles fell off. They didn't come off one here this day and another one here this day. No, no. They all came off the day you said yes to Jesus. And hell said, oh God, there's another one that had been set free by the power of Almighty God. So again, we're made now more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. But if we don't understand what was done at Calvary, we find ourselves shackled chained yet again Luke 4 18 the last verse the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind liberty them Christ said that he came to preach deliverance to the captives meaning that the work at Calvary had already been done and has what has set us free he didn't say, I've come to, set the to deliver the captive. I've come to preach deliverance to the captive. And what he was preaching was the good news. Jesus Christ and him crucified. So he not only saved us, but again, he set us free. And he that the Son is set free, thanks be to God, is free indeed. Because our deliverance is brought about totally and completely through the finished work of Calvary. That's why Paul said, I desire to know anything else among you Nothing else save Christ and him crucified. And when we get a hold of it, we can say what he said in verse 5, to whom be glory forever and forever. Because he's already done it all. He's already, to whom, singular, the person. He's the one who deserves all of the glory today, tomorrow, forever and forever, for eternity to come. Amen. And that amen signaling is done. So in these first five verses here, we see the relaying of the foundation. So now he said, I'm going to lay the foundation again, and now I'm going to build upon it and now begin to teach you the truth. Amen. Let me tell you, the first fruits of what we have, 
We only got the first fruits. But it's more than enough to live for him and to have abundant life. We're going to get the final installment of our salvation when we go on to be with him in glory. We were talking about it today, which we believe is to be so soon. I cannot wait. If he come tonight, praise be to God, take me out of here. I would love to go on the scene. But I know that there's a harvest of souls and there's many that needs to hear this truth so that they can begin to enjoy what Christ has died to give them. Amen. Stand to your feet. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you again tonight. Lord, thank you for what you have done for us at Calvary. Lord, we thank you for the help that we've received tonight to deliver your word, Lord. God, truly, all honor, glory, and praise goes unto you, Lord. And we believe, we believe tonight that this anointed word, Lord, your anointed word, your word, Lord, that has went forth, Lord, is going to accomplish, Lord, what it desired to accomplish. And Lord, right now, those that are struggling with sin in their life, Lord, that love you with all that is within you, Lord, they have tried everything within them to receive freedom but Lord we believe tonight that Lord you have enlightened them Lord and you have shown them that what they stand in need of has already been done for them at Calvary and God I pray Lord that we turn our eyes off of ourselves, Lord God and we turn them 100% to you and what you have done because Lord it is you Lord that deserves all of the glory and all of the honor and praise Lord, you've done it all for us at Calvary. Lord, what you did there at Calvary not only saved my soul, but it set me free, Lord, so that now I can walk, Lord God, in freedom of life, so that now I don't have to walk around shackled in bondage. I don't have to walk around thinking of how to accomplish it because, Lord, I realize that you have already accomplished it for me, Lord. So, God, I pray tonight, Lord, bring that victory to them, Lord, and God, help them to see what you have already done. And, Lord, we thank you again for all that you've done, all that you're doing, Lord, and all that you're going to continue to do. In Jesus' name and everyone's name, amen and amen. We thank